the first time I read this when I was a kid, I just like put the book down and looked over at my family dog and I was like, <laughs> what the heck? Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Hi, hello, it's... Hi uh, Parker! What is this, Monday? I have no idea. It's, I think it's, it's Monday, Monday for me. Is it Monday for you? It's Monday for me over here. Are, are it, we all it, in the same time zone, though? It's entirely <laughs> possible that it is Monday. It's Monday for me. Yes. Anyway. Okay, introduce yourselves. Uh, hello, my name's Parker. I use she, her, and when Marco mentioned getting a haircut in this journal, I was like, what are those? I have forgotten entirely what a haircut was. It's a fake thing that happened, used to happen in the past. Now we just pull our hair out from stress and start over again every Oof, time. Too real. Hey, who's who, who's next to me? Hey, I'm Brad. I use he and they pronouns. Wait, you're next to each other now? When Brad had the dripping and had like the post dripping ick, I kind of like tried to keep some distance from him. But that that the period of time that that's a problem has elapsed. So oh. having fun with it. Anyway, who are you? <laughs> no, no one. Okay, Emily Dickinson. Oh, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> that was me taking a drink. That was me taking a drink. I had to wet my whistle. <clears throat> my name's Erso Ren. Um. Oh, do we do fun facts this week? You can do a fun fact if you want. I do a fun fact every week. Let's do, okay, let's, you did a fun fact. I'm going to do a fun fact, and then Cassandra can do a fun fact, and Brad can do a fun fact after Cassandra. I think Brad <laughs> fell asleep. I'm not sure he's able to do a fun fact. My fun fact is I have experienced existential dread today. What's your fun fact, Cassandra? I'm Cassandra Kelly. I use she, her pronouns. My fun fact is that pansies are edible. Um all right, let's 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 dig it. Let's make like archaeology and dig it, kids. Uh but What are we digging into this week? Today we're we're looking at the 10th Animorph Journal, The Android. It was an Animorph journal narrated by our our boy, uh the amazing, marvelous, magnificent Marco man. Folks, this whole journal is a Marco's Masculinity Corner, just the whole thing. And his name is John C. This is a Marco Gender Corner, IMO. Yeah, it's just, the whole book is just... Yeah, basically from start to finish, it's just, I mean, I don't know what's going on with him, this book in particular, but he decides to take things up a notch. Yeah, we are treated to, no joke, literally 69 pages of just Marco just <laughs> masculinity nice. it up. Nice. Uh, it's, more, it's more than that. He's entered it's... the masculiminal space, if you will. Um, <laughs> it's, it's 165 pages. It is, on the PDF, we've got 70 pages, but you don't include, oh, I'm sorry, it is 68. You don't include the table of contents of the cover. Oh no. Well, I include the cover 
illustration as well with these little robot legs. All right, so we learned that on the first page that Marco is a stylist. <laughs> yes, that's yes, stylist. so heterosexual of you, Marco. I'm pretty sure most dudes in this era went to like the barber. Don't get me wrong, I'm not judging him. I'm just like, no, we're ne- we're never judging these these people. We're never judging these historical figures. I don't think we're in a position to do so. And also, it doesn't matter. It's been a hundred years. They can take it. So uh, to be, I don't want to sound like I'm like being like. Haha, ha, that's gay because you have a stylist instead of a barber. Except I am kind of like, haha, ha, that's gay, but in a supportive haha, ha, that's gay way. Yeah, not uh, you know, we, we don't want to denigrate people for you know having issues being closeted, but also. Yeah, if we're gonna denigrate people for having issues of being closeted, let's uh make fun of fifteen-year-old Cassandra first. <laughs> anyway, uh, Marco stands for for many, many, many decades have uh, debated. All sorts of questions re Marco Silas Charisse and I feel like he really belabors the point of like Rachel being incredibly beautiful this time around. Yes, I... I'm a heterosexual man, and this conventionally attractive woman is the height of attractiveness. I know this because she looks like an attractive woman. What does an attractive woman look like? That. Yeah, let's let's get into it, you know, chapter by chapter, page by page. Okay, wait, wait. One thing I really want to just note is um, he's talking about how the Yerks are bad and how they're enemies. And he's like, not like the guy in your class who keeps calling you Dorkwad. I spy some censorship. There are a yeah. couple of instances of that uh, in this. But like... Dorkwad? I don't think anyone has ever said Dorkwad unironically. It was a different time. I don't care if it was a different time. It sounds ridiculous. They came up with the term anamorph. Okay, fair. Marco came up with the term anamorph specifically. <laughs> exactly. He's the king of making things sound completely ridiculous. Yeah, Marco, yeah. Marco might legitimately be a dorkwad. <laughs> <laughs> Michael? I mean, Michael. We, we set up a thing on the first page that I will get back to later because it's a, it's a, it's a good callback, but we think that there's just some jokes. He's showcasing this personality i'm the goof man i'm i'm a goof and also a He's man a silly guy um talks about the yurks a little bit does the usual thing and so we initiate as we usually do with the animorphs journals with a, a funny sort of cute like young teen situation where they're like mm, maybe this would be more fun if we could use our incredible superpowers to do a little bit of mischief. That does seem to be sort of the trend. And it's so funny that Rachel and Cassie did it last book. And then a a different best friend pair is doing it this book. And they're both like worried about the other pair finding out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because Jake has a reputation to maintain here because Marco is attempting to uh, convince Jake to maybe do something uh, that Jake has been thus far adamantly against, which is recreationally morphing. Yeah, like I said, they do all get in on it at one point. They do all get on on it, and Jake is having his dark night of the soul here about uh, <laughs> recreationally morphing to go see some live music, uh, specifically Nine Inch Nails, Alanis, presumably Alanis Morissette, and, and Offspring. Just Sorry, Offspring. Jake, if Offspring is the thing that tempts you, you are really having a long dark night of the soul. And don't get me it, wrong, I have listened to several Offspring songs. I have. So them don't in don't my no, library, don't be taken in, Cassandra. You know, it's not. Uh, it's a. It's this is. There's there's something going on here because the this alternate universe the band is called Offspring and not the, the Offspring. Offspring. It's I the Offspring. It's oh. I don't know Alanis Morissette's music at all. I don't think it's that much like the other two. It's a it's really, really wild not. bill. That's a wild bill. 
Jake just stared. Offspring? He asked. You're sure Offspring will be there? I could see him weakening. He was dribbling slower. Marco is like, ah, oh, yes, Jake's basketball powers are waning. His power <laughs> level is dipping below 9,000. If he can't get it up to 550, he won't be able to dunk. All according to Keikaku. Uh, uh, speaking of Jake's, like, prowess with basketball, he's a lot shorter, I mean, a lot taller than... I originally gave him credit for because he talks Marco talks about Marco talks about some person being like slightly taller than Jake but like being like six feet and Jake is what in middle school and he's like almost just almost six feet what there was, that's crazy I went that's to middle school with boy. a guy who was that tall that's wild. Holy cannoli. he's a tall dude I also want to talk about Marco's slang here in terms of things that are not real uh, I hear they are so great live. They kick. They dominate. <laughs> they crush all opposition underfoot. They rule. Did, nobody has ever said they kick. I ran my fingers through my new, shorter hair. It was cool looking. I wasn't even going to pay attention to the way Jake just stared at it. It looked cool. No, it doesn't. Marco gets corn cobs throughout the entirety of this book about his haircut, and it's very funny. Um, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Marco it sort of drops some knowledge that we are about to, or that he's about to uncover one of the greatest secrets of human history, uh, or become the person who decides the fate of an entire race, when he really just wants to jam to some cool tunes by Offspring. <laughs> uh, anyway, they morph dogs. It's a great time. Can I just say, I am so amused that his references for, like, body horror are just Stephen King and Anne Rice. What a wimp. Yeah, haven't you ever read any Junji Ito, loser? Um, ooh, ooh, the spiral one. Ooh, ooh. Hardcore rockers with pierced everythings? Everything. You know what, you know what he's talking about. Oh, People you know. in the 1990s were pretty crazy with all the metal bits sticking out of their various soft tissues. Um, Why do you have to say it like that? <laughs> I have several metal bits sticking out of only really one set of soft tissues. Stop saying soft tissue in reference to your body. Soft tissue. Uh, I'm not sure how else you'd describe an earlobe. An earlobe! Marco almost gets hit by a car and is just like, ah, oh, cool, I smell something else. It's just like completely in the dog brain. Um... Yeah, they, they give the warning of don't get too happy, but he doesn't listen. <laughs> to be fair, the poor kid clearly needs it. He's probably, like, super depressed. Yeah, honestly. But can we just appreciate, like, how much fun it would be to be a dog? Like, God, I think, yes. Yeah, I have wanted that for a long time. I've, like, read about it, but it's pretty much similar to this. Please just give me the good brain chemicals. Back in the day, canine therapy used to mean that, like, you hung out with a dog, whereas now it's just you turn into a dog. Yeah, well, I think they serve different purposes, because, like, that sort of canine therapy is for, like, oh, if you need, like, emotional support and, like, companionship, do this, and then it's, like, if you want to turn into a dog, it's, like, do you just need to go absolutely crazy? Do you need to go buck wild and, like, feel the rain on your skin? No one else can feel it for you. Only you can ah. let it in. Shipped water down all over myself. Feel the rain on <laughs> your skin, maybe. Offspring climb on stage and unload. Uh, they rip into a song. Varko's um, uh, whole grasp of slang is pretty. But then he sees his pal. 
Yes, he sees his pal. Oh, the, here's here's another brief uh, conspiracy corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on chapter three. Marco's complete butchery of 1990s era slang has led some conspiracy theorists to suggest that he's not actually from this time period at all and that he's a time traveler. Yes, some people claim that he was planted by the Alamist, except the Alamist isn't real. But some people claim that he was from a different era and was like planted by the Alamist for some reason, which I I don't know, because it feels like if all of the kids were going to be a plant, would it be Marco? But it's like, maybe it would be Marco. I don't know. We're getting real deep, y'all. We're getting too deep into it. We get a glimpse of Marco's former buddy, Eric King, the mysterious transfer student, except he transferred away. Um, and he's passing out flyers he for the sharing. Smell. While he offspring smell. are unloading on stage. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> They're that kind of band. <laughs> are they that kind of band, babe? little bit. Eric attempts to interact with the dogs. Marco and Jake are like, there's something weird about that guy. What do you mean he didn't smell, Rachel demanded. I mean that he didn't smell. He'd picked up some odors off other people, off the ground, off dogs, whatever, but he had no smell himself. None. Like a black hole of smell. Like nothing there. Nobody home. Which is like a difficult thing to explain to someone who can't, like, I was thinking about this today after reading this journal. Like, smell is such an important part of dogs' lives, and I have a friend who basically can't smell anything. Yeah, it's I know a like, couple of people with anosmia. Yeah, you just, you're blind. Ignorant to the world around you. Oh, Cassie uh, subscribes to Smelly Animals of America, which is a magazine that I love, personally. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got a, we get a subscription every uh, every month. Love that for you. Wait, am I skipping anything important by going to the part where they're at school? Uh, I did want to say that all they do a bunch of really highfalutin, like, kind of crazy plans, and then Cassie's just like, what if we just look them up in the phone book, which I thought was a supremely bad oh, yeah. maneuver. But yeah, so they decide, they decide to go and surveil on Eric because... He smells not. He smellant. He smellant. <laughs> yeah, I really like the part where they're talking about Marco's paper. Yes. I was like, surprised that these like 13 year olds like. This is how I still write essays. I shrugged and went back to my paper. I'll help. I ha- I'll have plenty of time. I'm dropping out of school this afternoon right after the teacher gets done laughing at this paper. And Jake says, topic, the use of rhetoric to obscure a lack of content, Jake said. And Marco's like, I froze up. I looked up. That's brilliant. It means the same as the total, the use of total bull, but it sounds so much better. And I was like, I love that. That's yeah. so true. The fact that I've these kids are learning about rhetoric like, at this almost age. Almost this exact essay. I read a really interesting <laughs> essay recently about about the sort of like. L- the linguistics and the sort of like the jargon of uh, social media personalities in the early aughts and early uh, 2010s. Hmm. And like the way that they sort of like spun words to increase video length without actually saying anything. And like, just like the, all of the linguistic tricks that they used, it was pretty interesting stuff. It's really easy to get an emotion across without actually saying anything. Um, I love that the goo of the day is consistently capitalized. Like it's an actual product. (laughs) Marco attempts to eat his goo and ends up having flashbacks to his mother's funeral and remembers Eric being there. Yeah. So that sort of, increases the stakes for him. Mm -hmm. 
Especially because Eric, I think even at the time of the funeral, Marco noticed that Eric was behaving strangely in that he was shaking his head and looking angry, which while anger is supposed to be, you know, one of the stages of grief or whatever, it doesn't really apply when you barely knew the deceased. So I think even at the time, it sounds like that was weird to Marco. And now he's like, oh, he's part of the sharing. And he probably because he's part of the sharing knew my mom was alive the whole time. And that's why he's angry. But then it's his turn to surveil and starts hanging out with Tobias. Um, almost gets hit by an osprey, which is... He almost gets hit by a, a peregrine falcon, I believe. He is he almost gets hit by a pe- He almost gets hit by a peregrine falcon, and he is an osprey. Mew! <laughs> um, <laughs> indeed. And so they're watching Eric, and he, like, runs into the side of a bus. <laughs> Big mean girls moment. Yeah, he, like, he trips, and, like... It's horrifying, but as uh, Tobias and Marco learn, it's maybe a little bit less horrifying because they don't see a bunch of gore, they see a bunch of robot gore. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think they just see a bunch of robot, period. For just a split second, the Hawkeyes yeah. are real good. Yeah, but they don't even really know what they're seeing. And yes, they're, they're like, good at that's archery. That's certainly not normal. <laughs> what did you say about archery? I said Hawkeyes are good at archery. Womp womp. <laughs> this feels exactly like middle school. I'm cold and I have my arms pulled into my t shirt and I'm falling asleep and only contributing uh sound, sound effects. effects. <laughs> Did you like this one? I'm just gonna be the teacher yeah. here and prompt you. The part the part of it that I read of the first half. Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love androids. One thing that we didn't see a lot of that I love personally is narratives about people fixing androids. These androids don't need tinkering, or do they? That's kind of the plot <gasps> bum, of the book. Bum, bum. Yeah, that's the plot of the book. Here's the name. Marco calls Jake's home to report to Jake, but does not get Jake on the phone, and instead gets Tom, a controller. Yeah, and it, he's very consistent with his, like, assimilation tactics. Yeah, he's a little too consistent, I feel like. He's starting to sound a little bit like a broken record, you know? I honestly think he's just kind of, like, fed up with dealing with kids. Yeah, that too. This year has been in Tom's head since at least the capture, which was volume six so it's been a minute now yeah uh marco flies off the handle and almost uh exposes the entirety of the animorphs whole operation over the phone he's so mad about the fact that they know who his dad is and they're trying to get to him and his dad and like to his dad through him which is yeah i mean that's really scary um axe turns his head toward me making eye contact with his main eyes marco something has happened to your hair i believe it has become shorter are you suffering from some sort of illness? <laughs> Everyone hates it. <laughs> Marco doesn't deserve this. He's dealing <laughs> with a lot. He doesn't deserve to get just roasted by everyone. There's a great moment here uh, where uh, Marco says, hey, maybe Eric is nuclear powered and Axe is just like, <laughs> oh, oh, he's serious. Uh, I, I don't think nuclear power is likely. Pretentious little alien. It's like, have an alien be like, <laughs> that simplish fission reaction. <laughs> All the cool kids use fusion reaction. Here's the name. They're 
thinking about how to solve this problem. They've got uh, this hologram man. Uh, they're thinking maybe if they use something with really weird eyeballs, then uh, it might be able to see through this whole thing. Um, I, I think that's like good reasoning. I said the exact opposite. I was like, I can't believe that this actually works at all. <laughs> I was thinking of it kind of as like what happens when, for example, you take photos of like, or not photos, like video of a bee or a hummingbird and the frame rate makes things really weird with their wings and it looks really weird. Yeah, how many hertz does Eric's... Uh... Yeah, what's Eric's frame rate? <laughs> um, Cassie, again! I'm so disappointed in her. Every single time we come up with a plan from Cassie, it's always insects. <laughs> the ants, her idea. Termites, also her idea. And now spiders is her idea. Maybe some people like it. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Ooh, there's a big spider web on my window. It's topical. What other what other animals could they have more if, that have weird eyeballs? Mantis shrimp. So, okay, so Rainbow Mantis Shrimp potentially could see through Eric's disguise, but not really practical because... Uh, Put it in a jar. Alarm. Put it in a jar. <laughs> Cassandra, have you ever tried to look through a jar onto things? It's hard. Yeah. That's true. It's all distorted. Put it in a square jar. I'm the gayest of all of us because I have a girl. What I... am I, chopped liver? What is Brad? Brad, can you... Brad... Hey, Brad, Brad, Brad has fallen asleep. Oh, Brad. Okay. Oh, no. Okay, I will continue the podcast. <laughs> we will bravely soldier on without him. This scene where they go to, the, like, the mountains and stuff gave me actual, like, nostalgia for, like, three months ago. <laughs> when we could go outside. Yeah, when we could, like, go and hang out with people and, like, go to the beach and stuff. My girlfriend wants to go to the beach so much, and I want to join her. It's not fair. I want to be probably 200 people around the lake below us, boys, girls, older people. Some are swimming, some are water skiing, some are grilling burgers and hot dogs over charcoal fires. I want to be that. <laughs> I love the whole exchange of, like, Axe just being like, oh, yeah, a good chunk of your body is just in the same space that spaceships travel through when they're in warp. No big deal. Oh, and Dark yeah, is like, we get excuse a me, the get a confirmation of this this is scary uh yeah no this is real this is another reason that they keep the morphing technology pretty constrained it's like how you don't send a bunch of satellites up into space if they're gonna just die up there because you don't want to increase the amount of space junk yeah i feel like i don't has this ever actually happened has anyone ever been hit uh and just become a knocklet unintentionally yes. no it yes. has it has happened now what i'm wondering is you're i don't you might be I, is it does it trap you in nothlet form because i've th figured that you might just like try to morph back into yourself but there's not enough mass to no there's not enough mass to reconstitute you at your usual size so you just turn into a tiny version of yourself you're just like a little wee version of you that's Wouldn't like you just die though <laughs> no you'd be tiny like the same size as the animal you were morphing except you're a person and you're like a wee like a gulliver's travels Uh, anyway, yeah, so I just assume you turn into a tiny version of yourself, but I, I don't know. Axe was like, oh, it's like a one in a million chance. That is incredibly small odds. He does say millions, plural. Okay. Uh, I love Marco's analogy of, like, he's sticking his butt out of the window of a moving car. <laughs> yes! Uh, they get to... Then he 
They morph the spider. They morph the spider. All right, uh, I want to have a little mini contest. I want to take a take a second, do a game show. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Here's the game show. I'm gonna roll off randomly, and whoever goes first, I'm gonna have you ran uh, give me your best reading of the onomatopoeia on page 28 for Marco oh, no. sprouting new legs out of his chest. Uh, the onomatopoeia being sprout. Um, <laughs> oh no! We, so we can't say sprout. We have to like. No, you gotta noise. give. You gotta really. You gotta sell it. You gotta give me your best shot with the sprout here. Uh, by virtue of a coin toss, Cassandra, you've been elected to go first. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call that a sprout. <laughs> I love the multi-stage delivery here. This is great. Yeah, that was great. A hundred percent not what I expected. Erso, it is now your turn. Please give us your best onomatopoeia for four new legs sprouting out of your torso. I really gotta embody it. Hold on. You can't embody it. You don't have enough limbs. No, no, no. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna, you know, I have to, like, mine it. <laughs> See, that was much more what I was expecting, but it was also very good. And you, you, you really committed to that delivery there. Anyway, you are both grand victory winners. Thank you for playing. Wait, I want you to do it, too. I gotta do it, too? Yeah. All right, I'm gonna give it my best shot. Are we ready? Okay. <laughs> that wasn't good. That was, that was very bad. You stopped yourself. <laughs> that was very bad. I tried to do an armpit fart at the same time to give it a little bit of that extra arm action. Oh, okay. Uh, Marco morphs into a spider. All right, uh, Marco realizes the wolf spider's a killer. Um, chases a beetle a little bit. Axe is like, uh, what are you doing? Marco's like, chases a beetle a lot bit. He goes really after it. I mean, he's like, he goes really intense and he has to take out all of his problems on this poor beetle. And Axe is like, are you okay? Uh, and Marco's like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Axe is like, Marco, I morphed the identical spider. It's like, you don't need to... Marco experiences a little bit of shame at the friend of, at the at the hands of his andalite friend. Marco and Axe scuttle on into the party, uh, almost get stepped on a couple of times, and then uh, their plan does pan out, and they see both hologram Eric and also real Eric. Eric appears to be a digitigrade robot person. He's a cynocephali. He's a what now? He's a cynocephali. I don't know what that is. It's a dog person. Nice. Uh, yeah, they're looking at the cool robot. Like, there are two of these. Uh, who discovers? Jake discovers that there are two of these. Yeah. Uh, and then that becomes a little bit of a panic situation. Uh, and then things become a lot more panic situation because <laughs> Marco gets eaten for the second time in his life. Now, hold up. Wait, no, 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 no. I'm wrong because Marco also gets torn apart partially by the ants and he gets chomped on by one of the sharks when he's in Dolphin Morph. And... When he is consumed partially, he does possibly the most dangerous thing he could ever do, which is to just scream and thought speak at everyone there. How do they get out of this situation? How do they, ex how does anyone explain that? I don't know. It's... There's a bunch of controllers here and a bunch of non-controllers and they all just hear an enormous scream. It's pretty disastrous. Yeah, that's crazy. But Marco has the, the mental fortitude in the presence of mind to uh, 
communicate more specific information directly to his friends as he is being eaten. We get payoff to what I thought was just a fun little joke line uh, as Marco's life is sort of flashing before his eyes here, where Marco's mother, before sort of in her pre-controller state, shows up and says in his vision, you are going to grow up to be so cute, she said, my little Marco. He's definitely been called cute before. Right? Oh, that's oh what he's talking God. about in the beginning. On page one. Oh, no. You think it's a that's joke, so but it's actually a callback to a particularly sensitive and cherished memory of his. And he ha he talks about the word cute a few journals ago as well, like maybe the last time he narrated, where yeah. he says something like, girls think Axe is cute, but I'm not a girl, and only girls care about things that are cute or something like that. So I think he has some hang-ups about the word cute, like, relating to his mom. As we've, as as previously mentioned, this whole book is a Marco's masculinity corner. You could just be cute, kiddo, it's fine. Uh, anyway, um, he demorphs out of a bird. It's awful. He falls through the air. Why do they keep doing this? As a baseball-sized, part-human, part-spider. Mood? I'm, yeah. <laughs> spider boy, spider boy. No, what? What could this possibly be a mood for you two? I identify with spiders. I don't identify with being baseball sized and falling through the air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Together we make the perfect marriage of horrible body horror. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, okay, everybody wait, no, hold on. Oh my god. Everybody go to the cover of Animorphs number ten, the Android. Which which one of these boys are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely the the half spider, half boy with like the huge Vanos chin. Those are his pincers, by the way. <laughs> I am the penultimate almost spider Marco that is still ostensibly wearing a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm the second I'm the second one closest to Marco. He looks like he's doing a really bad T pose. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a little man who looks uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, anyway, I love that as soon as Marco, like, falls out of the sky demorphing in front of Eric, Eric's immediate reaction is, Marco, didn't you used to have longer hair? Yes. Horncock again. Beaten into the dirt by his poor stylistic choice. Charisse. Marco's left in a bit of a compromised position as Eric and his pal... Yeah, Eric and Jenny, uh, come upon Marco in a very compromised position. His name is Marco, Eric said calmly. You know, the Andalite bandits Ch Chapman is always talking about? The ones who use Andalite morphing technology to carry on the guerrilla war? Of course, she said. Eric pointed down at me. I think this human is one of them. There it was. The end. The end of our existence as Animorphs. We'd always known if the Yurks ever discovered our true identities, or even that we were humans, they would wipe us out in a matter of days. Imagine that just being it, you know? Because, like, what if it hadn't been Eric who came over and looked? Eric displays his erudition by quoting Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Marco is like, uh, how, why should I trust you? And Eric's like, I could turn you in right now, and it would be pretty good. And Marco's like, I guess you could. I guess we're buddies now. Um, well, they're not buddies, but they, uh, they, they, they come to an understanding that they are working more or less They're buddies again. They're buddies again, because remember they used to be buddies. Oh, yes, they are formerly buddies, and now they are buddies once more. We'll be there, I said. I guess we don't have a choice. You have us by the... You have us cold. Eric reveals that Eric also fights the Yerks, along with Jenny, who is never seen again in this book. 
Okay, in the next chapter, Marco has made his way home. His father has chosen to cook barbecue chicken, which is an unfortunate scenario given the day that his kid has just had, but his kid can't let yeah. him know that. I just want to express some real sadness here again, because on the back of the book, it says Animorph stickers inside. And on page 89, there's like a spot where there should be stickers, but someone has removed them. That's really, that's upsetting. Um, it's clearly homophobic. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> we learn in this chapter that Marco's dad has not taken defense contracts because there was an experience where he woke up in the middle of the night and his wife was awake and managed to communicate a message to him through past her year, like managed to actually talk to him. She said, they won't take you if you stay away from the military. It didn't make any sense, but the way she said it, like it was the hardest thing she'd ever said. Like, it was the most important thing she'd ever said. This is devastating for us as readers, but, like, I cannot imagine how devastating this must have been for Marco. Yeah, he's trying not to cry into his chicken at this point. Yeah, this whole story, just, like, every new detail we learn about it, it becomes more tragic. My mother, my real mother, had struck when the York was distracted and for a few seconds regained control. Anyway, my dad said, I know it was just your mom having a bad dream, but ever since then, whenever an opportunity came up to do defense work, I just got this bad feeling about it. I couldn't even pretend to eat anymore. Dad, are you thinking about taking on a military project now? And he sort of, you know, doesn't, he gives like a non-answer mm. to Marco. Next up is the meeting at Eric's house, which does not go as expected. Yes, Rachel and Tobias stay outside in order to cover them while the rest of the gang goes inside to see what Eric has to say and Mr. King, Eric's father, takes them down into like a very cool Mission Impossible style um, James Bond sort of secret holographically protect protected elevator in their house that goes down like six stories and they're expecting to find something like horrible or whatever but they find a dog park. They just find a dog park. Stretched out before us for uh, more than the length of a football field was a sort of park. Trees, grass, streams, flowers, butterflies flying around jerkily, bees buzzing from flower to flower, squirrels racing up and down the trees. Walking here and there were androids in their natural form, machines made of steel and something white. The androids had mouths that were almost like muzzles, clumsy looking legs, and stubby fingers. They were sinusephali, but robot form. These are the chi. <laughs> yeah, Eric is like, hey. Uh, we are the chief. Here's our life story. Uh, here were these aliens called the Pemelites. They were just happy people. And then the Howlers come and kind of destroy their whole civilization and infect them with a uh, an infectious disease that ends up killing their entire species. Before this manages to happen, they, A, uh, create the androids who have a specific name, but that's like substantially before this. The Chi the managed to capture the essence of the last Pemelites who are dying of some sort of infectious sort of biological weapon and transmit them into wolves and thus dogs were created. We get a dog creation we story. We get a dog <laughs> creation myth uh, told in VR. <laughs> it is, you're right. There are too many good onomatopoeias here to, to, to play the game with. Uh, we will we will play more of them later. Do I wonder if the Howlers come back up because they sound pretty awful. They do come back. I believe the Howlers do show up again. We we find out something really interesting about how Eric has been able to pass as a controller. 
Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, for, I forgot about this. This is really cool. Um, he, I just assumed that he would, like, make a bunch of holograms and sort of fool everyone into thinking. But it's more uh, thinking that he has a, a yoke in his head and everything. But um, it's more complicated than that. He actually has trapped a specific yerk in his in his head he opens up his android head and inside has is trapped like a, a like an actual literal york slug that's just crazy and he's like i tapped into his brain and like know all of his secrets now instead of the other way around yeah a pretty fascinating way to escape an otherwise sort of like impossible set of questions of like how do you manage to sort of like do the espionage and convince these people that you are you know one of them i also feel kind of bad for that yerk because it's like again with the feeling bad for the yerks cassandra i do well no i feel bad because it's like (sighs) now he's trapped in like much the same way that controllers are trapped well i guess part of it is like oh how does it feel dude but it's also like you shouldn't non-consensually trap anyone in their own mind even if they're a yerk yeah, there's, I mean, that's, an imperfect world, I think that's completely legit, and that's, like, the right answer. Although, for the purposes of espionage, like, I, I guess if he's the only person doing it, it kind of makes sense to do. It fits in with his worldview, which he then sort of goes on to describe, and the, the sort of central moral conflict of this whole book becomes apparent. Yeah, he can't inflict violence. The Chi are incapable of committing violence. And this is interesting because this sort of follows Isaac Asimov's, like, mm. one of his rules of, of robots is that they don't have the capacity to hurt humans or allow humans to come to harm. Historically, I think that they've um, not always adhered to that philosophy, but at least the Pemelites did. So that's nice. <laughs> that's fascinating and not something that I was thinking about at all but you're totally right. I love ethical conflicts, and this is a really interesting one. I mean, that's what makes this book interesting. Eric describes the situation that the Chi are literally hard-programmed to be incapable of violence, but Eric recognizes the threat that the Yerks pose to all life that isn't Yerk life on planet Earth and wants to rewrite the Chi programming or in some way, uh, in some way sort of overwrite this prohibition against violence in order to assist the Animorphs against the Yerks. It seems like most of Chi society, or at least the leaders who sort of come forward into this exchange, are deeply against this because they, by their nature, are pacifists. And the idea of violence is abhorrent to the vast majority of them. Eric is asking asking these Yeah, they kind of ask the question of, like, is this really even, like, can we feel comfortable taking responsibility for making this race of people who have never killed anything actually start doing that for the first time? It is a fascinating question. I love this question. Because, like, the Animorphs have all definitely sort of, like, come to their own conclusions individually that, like, they will fight and potentially die to save Earth. Uh, That they will do what they need to, which thus far has definitely involved committing numerous acts of violence against people and controllers. We'll get your crystal for you, Jake said. Tell us all about this Matcom and we'll get your crystal. He looked at the Chi called Maria. Sorry, but Marco is right. The Yurks have my brother. There's nothing I won't do to get him back. I don't know what I would do in this situation, to be totally honest. I know that I've been kind of one one sort of pole of most of the sort of ethical dilemmas and like debates that we've that that we've talked about thus far, but like in this scenario, I don't know what I would do. Does anyone 
I mean, can anyone really answer what they would actually do? I don't. I'm really strongly tempted to say no. Like, I'm I'm zoning I'm zoning hardcore. There's too much drama happening on the internet that is more interesting than 100 year old history. I've been participating in almost every single discussion. We have some students who just like haven't showed up at all to any of the discussions. Yes, but this is like, I forgot that everyone else existed. This is true. It's very weird and very alienating. But this is like the most interesting thing. This is the the most interesting thing that's happened thus far. Yeah, but there's drama on the internet. Oh my god. Anyway, fascinating choice. The Animorphs ultimately are like, uh, we are too personally invested in this to turn down the potential resource that this group of people, or even just this individual, represents. Yeah, literally no one has offered to help them in the, the entire time of history that these journals cover. So <laughs> you're fighting this whole war, and for the first time someone finally says, I know exactly what you're going through and I'd like to help you. It's really hard to turn down. It's really hard. Especially when the Chi kind of do have a responsibility to at least try to do something if they know the Yerks are a problem. Yeah. And I think uh, Maria, who's the sort of leader of the anti-violence Chi, recognizes that. She's like, there are some things you could do. And Eric is just mm -hmm. sort of maintains that it's not going to be enough. Yeah, and he's right. I don't know if I would say he is right though. Ultimately, given what we uh, what we find out. Anyway, they ultimately are like, yes, we will we will help you rewrite your programming so that you can help us do violence to the Yerks. They come back up, and Rachel, in her bear form, is being restrained by a single chi. Yeah, easily. These guys strong. They strong. No one uses fax machines, but call you'll hear the noise. Statues left by ancient Greeks, the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys. Piled in the closet, broken toys. Their, their sort of final act in this book is a very complex heist in which the only animal that can actually get them out of the situation is a bat. So they could have done this. Can we agree that they could have done this without resorting to the, the solution that they end up with? I think, I mean, obviously their approach in is genius. Like, it's brilliant. They they run a couple close calls with some, uh, with a rat and uh, the furnace system of the whole oh, thing. Oh, they're gonna run into so many more close calls with a rat. Oh boy, I don't like the way you say that. Um, <laughs> but generally their approach is just astoundingly good like they've done this before they know what they're doing at this point uh and they execute a plan really efficiently very effectively up until the point where they need to exfiltrate and then they're like oh about that how do we do this was their solution to smash things because i feel like that's usually what their solution was and i read this a while ago so i don't remember their solution once they get a hold of the crystal is to smash their way out which yeah. they know Figures. is not going to be something that's favorable for them because there are elite hork controllers involved and also lots of security system and very well-armed and funded human controllers. It's a bad scene. Um, and ultimately, they need Eric to kind of come in and rescue them because Marco uh, almost dies. It's not looking good for our Animorph heroes. And then Marco manages to sort of punch through the reinforced glass and manages to get the crystal to Eric, who reprograms himself on the spot and then just destroys all hostile life in that facility. I mean, terrible, but also go off. A very effective scene of like, oh, we have a weapon and we should never use it. Eric himself is 
absolutely destroyed by this. He's completely traumatized. Like, he survives intact. He's he's fine physically, but he is kind of ruined by the violence that he perpetrates. He makes it pretty clear that he's going to remember this in perfect detail forever. Um, and he doesn't know how to cope with that. That's something that's beyond him. Uh, and he ultimately sort of, like, retracts his sort of point that he was attempting to make and that the Animorphs agreed to, which is that the she need to rewrite their programming so that they could do violence. He's like, actually, no. This, we can't do this. It's too awful. God, I love the moral implications of the events here. The way that they're presented is, like, pretty good, but just, like, oh my god, the quandaries here are fascinating. Um, and the depiction of violence as this truly horrible, horrible thing is really on point. Completely agree. These journals really don't mess around when it comes to the messages of violence is, is bad. There's not fun to kill people. In the last sort of passage, in the last chapter, they're at the beach playing with dogs. And we are reminded that uh, all dogs come from space. I do want to go over my favorite axe line from this book. Yeah, though, let's do it. Which is, <laughs> this is the very start of chapter 23. See, we should never get cocky, Cassie said. It's tempting the irony gods. Irony gods? Axe asked. Yeah, Cassie said. The bitter spirits who wait around till you get cocky then hammer you. These are real? No, of course not, Cassie said impatiently. <laughs> Axe, who previously was like, oh, you're serious about nuclear power being something? No. <laughs> I know. It's just like, those are real? Yeah, it's very good. It's a good line. This journal is almost falling apart. There's a bunch of pages that have been smashed together, and... The back cover is split all the way down. God. It's like, I think this is this particular copy is 23 years old or something. Um, Marco finishes the book off by chucking the Pamelite crystal into the ocean. Just letting it go. Um, well, he gives, it, he gives it to Homer. Oh, you're right. He does give it to Homer. Man, that would be a weird vet visit. No, because Homer just takes it and drops it in the ocean because he's, like, suddenly smart. He knows what to do. Yeah, there's a weird implication there. The first time I read this when I was a kid, I just, like, put the book down and looked over at my family dog, and I was like, <laughs> what the heck? Are you a wizard? <laughs> Um, yeah. Let's wrap it up together uh, here. I, I'm interested. I think for Professor Leon mentioned we could do some extra credit essays if they want if we wanted to, right? I, no. I might well no, for just for extra <laughs> credit, I might uh I might sort of theorize about how the Animorphs could have gotten out of their military heist thing without resorting to violence. But that would require that that's gonna require like comprehensive like going over every morph of, morph that they have at the moment and like, I don't know, strategizing and stuff. So I, I might anyway, so that's Animorphs Volume Ten, the Android. Uh, next time we're what gonna read... What if I eat my headphones cord? <laughs> next time we're gonna read Animorphs Volume 11, The Forgotten, which has Jake? Jake again? Now, okay, so given the cover of Animorphs Volume 11, Jake has no business telling Marco about his bad haircut. <laughs> I mean, the covers are terrible and look nothing like the actual Animorphs. All right, seems like you two are hungry and sleepy. I'm going to go hungry. check on Brad and see if I can wake him up. Uh, and I'll talk to you all next time. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay horny. No! no! <laughs> Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle McGarelli for the use of their song Comic Book Girl off the album Field Notes from Another Place and Complicated Spoon. 
You can find more of Noelle's music at noelmicarelli.bandcamp.com or find a link in the show notes. The Morph Report podcast is hosted by Hamlet Cooper, Scrivener Lamb, Marina Malucci, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Pottermorphs, email us and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stop in Armageddon like a comic book girl. Dead on page 11 like a comic book girl.